Thank you for joining us for this message. Whether you're watching for the first time or simply catching up on a message you've missed, we are so glad that you're connecting with God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you will experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. Amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? I'm sorry to disappoint you if you were expecting Pastor Mick. Uh, he is out running with his daughter, the uh, Grand Rapids Marathon, and so he should be getting uh, finished pretty soon. And so uh, I'm always grateful to have the opportunity to stand before you and share the word of the Lord. So let's get started. Are you ready to eat? Amen. All right, let's eat. If you will, get your, turn in your device to back, uh, back chapter 3. And out of respect for the reading of the word as is our tradition here, I ask you if you're able to stand. And we want to, uh, first of all, say it's so good to see Lawrence. Thank you so much Thank for you. being the host. And, you know, you can't give Lawrence a, a mic and expect him not to sing. Amen. <laughs> we appreciate that worship. Thank you, my brother. Amen. He's Amen. going to help us with the reading of the word. We're going to read some selected verses from Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, verses 2 through 6, 10 through 13, and then 17 through 19. So let's start with verse 2. Oh, Lord, oh before I start, just repeat after me. Teman. Teman. Say it again. Teman. Teman. And say Paran. Paran. One more time. Paran. Paran. You'll understand why I did that in just a second. <laughs> All right. Oh, Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Verse 3. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the ray. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Verse 5. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. Verse 10. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear. Verse 12. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. Selah, verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice yes. in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels to the chief musician with my string instruments. Thus saith the Lord. Thank you so much, Lawrence. Can we uh, show our appreciation and how happy we are to see our brother Lawrence? You may take your seat and be comfortable. 
So this is the end of a three-part series. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, we have been marching through the book of Habakkuk, which is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. We started with chapter one where Pastor Mick laid out the foundation of what Habakkuk uh, was saying to the Lord and that Judah was on the verge of no longer being a country, uh, was being taken into captivity. And Habakkuk was asking God, why is this happening to us? And God gave him the answer that the just must live by faith. And then in chapter two, last week in this series that we're calling Moving from Worry to Worship, that we found and we learned that God's plan is fueled by our faith. And Pastor Mick talked about three essential types of faith, saving faith that brings us into relationship with God, daily faith that allows us to walk out the call that God has on our lives, and then faith that lasts a lifetime, the faith that propels us to cross the finish line in what God has called us to do. And then that brings us to today, chapter three of Habakkuk. And this is literally a song of worship and of praise. The scholars uh, liken it to the Psalms of David and that it is a liturgical worship likely set to instruments. And we uh, read a good bit of chapter three, and I won't reread it, but suffice it to say, if you'll remember, it's Habakkuk declaring the brilliance of God and the power of God and the might of God and that his very voice causes the earth to tremble. And then we come to the last three verses of Habakkuk chapter three, and that's when he begins to worship. God, in spite of the fact that the children of Israel are being taken into captivity, in spite of the fact that they're being held captive by a nation that is more evil than the evil that they've shown to God, Habakkuk worships anyway. In effect, Habakkuk's distress about the plight of Judah and the difficult circumstances that they were going to, even questioning God. And Pastor Vic talked to us about how God is big enough to handle our questions. When we're in relationship with him, we can, in fact, question him. But even amongst the questions, his questions end in worship. Habakkuk declares, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So for me, as I began to read this chapter, it forced a foundational question of my own. As the children of Israel are suffering the hardships and going through the difficulty and literally living through the wrath of God by putting, being put under subjection to an even more evil nation than they had been. And, and Habakkuk doesn't understand this. He doesn't understand how God could let this happen. And then when he gets to the end of the questions and God has given him God, his answer saying, but you just, you, the just live by faith. You gotta have faith. Habakkuk's re- answer is, not necessarily what my answer would be. I wonder if I'm the only one that might not end all of those questions and be bewilderment about what's happening with worship. So the foundational question that I'd like for us to explore in the time that we have together is how does the road of despair and hardship and injustice lead to worship? How? You know, the times that we're living in right now are not that different than the times that Habakkuk 
found himself in. Going through difficult times. We have a pandemic that won't seem to go away and and an economy that seems to be teetering on the edge and uh, all the uh, social unrest and the racial uh, unrest and all the things that are happening. And I know many of us as parents are dealing with children who are leaving the faith and saying that what you believe is not for me. And now we, we have these social norms that we would not have ever dreamt of when, if you're of a certain age, when we were growing up. Now commercials have curse words in them. And I remember a time where there was a certain amount of, a certain type of speech that couldn't even be said on television until after the kids had gone to bed. And so we're living in this crazy, crazy time where up is is down and down is up and people are questioning the very foundations of a sovereign God. I wonder if that's how Habakkuk felt. I felt, I know I have said more than once during these last 18 to 20 months, Jesus must be coming back because this stuff is crazy. As a matter of fact, I hope he comes back because I'm tired of this stuff and I'm tired of crazy people. (laughs) I got a few people that know what I'm talking about. But even in the midst of that, Habakkuk worshiped. Why did he worship? Habakkuk worshiped because he understood who God is. Before I get to that point, let me just make a little side point, and that is that in the hard times, Habakkuk went to the right place. He went to God to ask his questions. He didn't go to uh, the popular television show. He didn't go to the most popular podcast. He didn't go to the most popular blog. He didn't go to his friends or to his neighbors. He didn't even go to another person of God. He went straight to the source. He went to God which by itself implies the recognition of the sovereignty of God. And so my first point that I want to make with you sisters and brothers today, that no matter what's going on around us in our society, and yes, no matter what's going on in our individual lives, I implore you, I exhort you, I beg you, go to God as your source. Don't go to the TV, don't go to TikTok, don't go to Instagram. My God, please don't go to Facebook. No offense with Facebook, I've got an account too. But let me just tell you, there's more fake news on Facebook than there is anywhere else. So no, go to Facebook, don't even go to your best friend. And I would just say this, your source is not Pastor Mick. As much as I love him, and I love following him as he follows Christ, and you certainly shouldn't come to me. When you get in your hard times, when you have your questions, go to God, the one who has all the answers. Why do I say that? Because when we go to God, the very act of going to God is a literal step of faith. Hebrew 11:6 says it this way. It says that it is without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And it goes on to say, for he who comes to God must first believe that he is. Believe that he is what? Believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when we go to God, that's our first act of faith. God, I believe you are the mighty one. I believe you are the holy one. I believe you are the just one. I believe you are the righteous one. I believe that you do love me. I believe that you do have compassion for me. I believe that you withhold no good gift from me because I am your child. Just going to him is an act of faith. 
Because here's the thing, when we truly live by faith, our distress will always lead us to worship. I appreciate the amens, but if many of us are being honest, what you really want to do is what I call the Labrador head tilt when I say that. When I say that uh, in our distress, our faith will lead us to worship, many of you want to do this. Hmm? That doesn't make any sense. Let me hopefully help you uh, with how it makes sense. Because when we worship God, we are acknowledging who he is. And that's exactly what Habakkuk does. So worship starts with a very foundational step. And that is knowing the character and the nature, nature of God. We cannot worship God unless, we cannot truly worship him, let alone live a lifestyle of worship toward him without knowing who he is. Can I just take a few minutes and remind you of who our God is? Can I just remind you, and Lawrence said it so well during the announcements that he is indeed our Alpha and Omega. The scripture says in John, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I don't have time to exegete John 1.1, but this, I just want to point this out, that in the beginning was the word. That means that God was there when the beginning started. God has no beginning or no end. God is all powerful. He is the creator of the universe. He's the one that holds this place together. He's the one that has created the matter and the areas that we are trying to explore. We don't even know the bounds of his creation. That's who he is. God is mighty and his voice causes the mountains to tremble. His voice causes the waves to either start or to stop. God is more powerful than any hurricane. God is faster than a supersonic jet. Supersonic God is more powerful than a nuclear explosion. There is nothing that is greater than him. There is no one that knows more than him. God goes to no one for advice. He needs nobody for counsel. He by himself is sufficient all by himself. His purpose for, is for existing is for himself. We all have a purpose for existing which is outside of ourself. But God is the all-sufficient one, and he is the reason for himself. Nobody created him. Nobody can kill him. Nobody can tell him what to do. God is the almighty, the El Shaddai, the El Elyon, oh, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who knows the beginning from the end, the one who knows your thoughts and your emotions, the one who knows what you have need of even before you ask, the one who cares for you with an everlasting love and loves you when you didn't love him and loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is that kind of God. He's the one that loves you when you run from him. He's the one that loves you when you disobey him. He's the one that loves you when you curse him. He's the one that'll never leave you nor forsake you. Neither height nor depth nor anything that is to come nor anything that ever was nor angels and demons can separate you from the love of God. You gotta know who God is in order to worship him. Hallelujah! And he's good all the time. God is good? And all the time, even in your trials, even in your difficulties, even in your doubt, even in your wavering, God is steadily good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. 
His plans for you are for e or for good and not for evil. He has given you a hope and a future. And when you know that God is unchangeable, he's immutable, he don't change his mind, he doesn't waver to and fro, when you know that he's all-powerful, that he's omnipotent, when you omnipotent, when, when you know that he's omnipresent, this is what I love about God, we can't really fathom. I'm standing up here trying to preach to you about who and what God is, and I really can't do it because my finite human mind cannot grasp the vastness of God. I can't really, I can act like I understand, but I can't understand how it is to be everywhere at the same time, that he's here, right here in the midst of us, and at the same time, he's over in Nagpur, India with the India KCC, and at the same time, he's in New York, and at the same time, he's in Beijing, and at the same time, he's at the bottom of the sea, and at the same time, He's up in the heavens, he's everywhere. And he knows all of our thoughts at the same time. I mean, shoot, we don't even always know our own thoughts, but God knows them. He knows us so well that he knows the very number of the hairs on our head. And I love that because depending on the day, the number of hairs on my head changes. I'll let you think about that. God is magnificent. And here's the thing, worshiping him has nothing to do with you. Worshiping God has nothing to do with how you feel. It has nothing to do with what's happening in your life, with your circumstances. It has nothing to do with whether your spouse stays in your marriage or not. Worshiping God has nothing to do with whether you get the job or not, whether you're accepted into the program or not. Worshiping God is not, has nothing to do with whether you get that close parking spot that you prayed about when you're going to shop. Worshiping God is not about us. Our circumstances are no indication of God's goodness. We must learn, sisters and brothers, to disconnect our circumstances from our willingness to worship God. You see, we live in a transactional society. We were raised in this uh, Western uh, Judeo-Christian society where we believe that you give as good as you get, that there's tit for tat, there's quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I'll love you as long as you make me feel good. I'll work hard for you as long as you pay me what I think I deserve. I will be nice to you as long as you let me have my way. That's the way we're raised, and we then transfer that onto our relationship with God. But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. You see, in the kingdom of God, and what Habakkuk is teaching us is, it doesn't matter how you treat me. It doesn't matter whether I got the job. It doesn't matter whether I live in a big house or I live in the corner of a room. You see, because God is awesome no matter what our circumstances are. Even when we lose everything, here's the good news. We still have a good God. Victory is not determined by our circumstances. Our emotions, now listen to me. Praise the Lord, thank you for your encouragement because you know you get me going. Uh, but th get this. Our emotions are not a reliable motivator for worship. I will say it again. Our emotions are not a reliable 
motivator for our worship. I'm gonna let you have a sila, and I'm gonna get a sip. We can't wait to worship God till we feel like it. We can't wait to worship God until it seems to make sense. Because here's the thing, our emotions, which come from the wellsprings of our heart, are unreliable. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us that our heart is deceitful. We can't even trust our own heart. Half the time, we don't even know what our real emotions are. We mask them with all kinds of things. We come off uh, as we present as angry, but we really hurt. We present as mad, but we really feel vulnerable. We can't use our emotions as a barometer of when to worship. Because our emotions will cause us to do crazy things. You know what I'm talking about. You can look at me uh, with the wide eyes all you want, but you know our emotions will get us into relationships that are bad and we knew it was bad when we were going in it. Our emotions will cause us to say things to the people we love the most and hurt them in cruel ways. It's our emotions that will cause us to want to take revenge and get mad at someone when we feel like we've been slighted. It's our emotions that want to kick that unruly, disobedient two-year-old out in the world and see if they can make it on their own. That's what our emotions want to do. Not that we do that, but you know that's how we feel sometimes. So we cannot trust our emotions to determine when we worship God. We worship him because of who he is, not because of how we feel. That's worth saying again. We worship God because of who he is, not because of how we feel. Now, let me deal with the issue of God's timing in our lives. This is what Habakkuk was dealing with. When are you going to rescue us from this, God? Why are you letting this happen? But Habakkuk determines to worship even in the midst of the hardship. While we, while we worship while we wait on God to intervene on our behalf. We see in Habakkuk 3 uh, that Habakkuk remembers what God has already done in the past. He remembers the faithfulness of God. He remembers the goodness of God. Even though he doesn't see it before him, he remembers what God has done in the past. I say this all the time, God's past faithfulness is evidence of his future faithfulness. So if he has brought you through before, he will bring you through again. If he's healed you before, he will heal you again. If he's helped you before, he will help you again. And when we remember this, this then causes us to put our trust not in what we see, not in what we feel, not in what the statistics say, not in what the news organization says, but it causes us to put our trust into the ability of God. Because when we trust God, God, then we can worship him. I want to give these words a little room to breathe because I really want you to soak it in. This is essential. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. This is essential because what the enemy wants to do, let me just identify. Let me call the enemy out. What the enemy wants to do is to distract us and get our attention on what's happening in the natural. 
Because the enemy knows that if he can take our attention off of God and the eternal and put our, ten, our attention on the temporal, on the natural, then we begin to make choices and decisions and we begin to behave with short-term thinking in mind. We begin to live as if this is the life that we're going for. We begin to live as if earth is our home and as if all of our treasure is here. But when we put our attention on God and on his word, it takes our attention off the crazy spouse. It takes our attention off the insane, insolent child. It takes our attention off of even our own uh, uh, issues and emotional turmoil. And it puts our attention on the truth of who God actually is. And then we begin to remember that God is faithful and we begin to remember that that our our treasure should not be in earthen vessels that where uh, moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal but but we should put our treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal you see the enemy wants us to be short-sighted it's easy to succumb to temptation when you're just thinking about the moment well, I've already done a little bit. I might as well do a lot. Well, I fell yesterday. I might as well fall today. When we are just in the moment, the enemy then presents to us a false reality that this is the best I can do. I'm just living my truth. This is just who I am. I should celebrate this because this is the real me. But it's a deception that will cause us not only to miss the blessings and the victory of God here on earth, but also cause us, some people, to miss in eternity as well. That's why it is so important to put our attention, to put our focus on what the truth of God's word is. Because see, truth varies depending on who you ask about it. I love the old saying about marriage, there's his side, there's always three sides to every argument, his side, her side, and the truth. When we are looking temporally, looking at things in the natural, truth is on a sliding scale. But when we are looking at God, he is an absolute truth, he is truth. And his truth is eternal, amen? So then we must look at him and trust him. Let me get back to my notes. I'm all off my notes here. Because here's the thing. When we gaze at the problem, the problem gets bigger. When we gaze at God, the problem gets smaller. You know, the scripture says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. What, what he's really saying, what the man of God is really saying there is speak well of him. Talk about him. Put your attention on him. Use him in uh, your conversations. Talk about who he is and what he does. That magnifies him. But here's the thing. We often spend our time talking about the problems, talking about what's going wrong, talking about what we don't like, talking about what's not fair. And do you know what you're doing when you do that? You're magnifying the problem and not magnifying God. So we must then take our attention off the temporal Put it on the eternal. Now, worship requires then relationship. Relationship requires time and communication. 
You cannot be in relationship with God if you spend no time with him and if you do not communicate with him. That's called prayer. Time and communication builds intimacy. It happens in the natural. When we spend time with people, we get to know them. We communicate back and forth. We feel seen. We feel heard. We feel understood. All of a sudden, we've got intimacy and relationship is built, even with people that we thought we didn't like at first. Just the matter of spending time with them helps then to build relationship. So my question to you today is how much time are you spending with God? No, really. Now, I praise God for our, da our, our daily Bible reading plan, and it's awesome, and I hope it's helped. Uh, I know it has in me and has helped instill in you new disciplines in your relationship with God, but here's the truth. If we spend 15 minutes with God in the morning and don't have anything to say to him for the rest of the day, it's hard to be in relationship with him. I challenge you to show me a marriage that works that way, a healthy marriage. It requires time and communication. Yet very often we relegate the Lord to the first 15 minutes and the last 15 minutes of our day. What kind of relationship can we really have with him? So we must be in relationship with him by spending time and communicating. And let me just say this, this is for free. It's not in my notes and it will come up on the screen. But communication is a two-way street. If all we do is talk to God, God, I thank you, God, uh, you know, I get, thank you for this new day. Thank you for waking me up. I ask that you bless and protect and keep me, Lord. Uh, give me the, uh, this day our daily bread. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, amen. And then spend no time listening. That's not communication. That's dictation. Communicating with God is a back and forth talking to him and then waiting and listening for him to talk back. It's in my experience that God is quite chatty. He got a lot to say. If only we would take the time to listen. One of my uh, old mentors and a, a former pastor of mine, I was asking him about his daily uh, routines in uh, seeking the Lord. And he, he'd been pastoring uh, for 30 years for a long time. And he says, you know what, Debbie, these days in my prayer, he literally has a prayer closet. He, he has a, a big walk-in closet and there are clothes in there, but there's also a little pallet set in there and Bible and, and Bible study resources. And he literally goes in the closet to have his prayer time. And he says, nowadays in my prayer closet, I spend as much time listening as I do talking. And that resonated with me so much. Because at that point, I realized, because I was raised by a praying mother, I've known how to pray just about my whole life. You know, I can work up a good prayer. But I was going into my prayer closet, and I was vomiting out over the Lord everything I had to say. And then I would say, in Jesus' name, amen, and get up and go on about my day. Spent no time listening, sitting quietly in his presence. So when we truly spend time with the Lord in communication, it requires not just speaking, but also listening. And then worship requires surrender. We cannot maintain control and truly worship God because the very act of worshiping him is an act of humility and surrender. 
Many of us treat God like a genie in a bottle or like a concierge. God do this, God do that, God do this, I claim this, I, uh, I, I claim that in the name of Jesus and let it happen right now. But God is not our concierge. While it delights him to give his kingdom to his children, while he withholds no good gift from his children, he's God. And he deserves to be worshiped and not dictated to. Let me put it to you like this as I begin to close. Many of you, if you are young parents, you can relate to this. By the time a child gets to be about four, they start to come into a certain sense of themselves. They now, they know what they like. They know what kind of food they wanna eat and don't wanna eat. They know what they like to watch on the screen. They have very specific opinions about what they wanna wear. And a four or five year old will try to dictate to you, a grown adult, what to do and how to live. Some little short bow-legged things. <laughs> don't own nothing, can't pay for nothing, don't have a job. And they'll try to tell you what to do. So what would it be like if that four or five-year-old, your child, walks into house and says, now, listen here, let's just assume that they're from Arkansas like me, so they come in and say, now, look at here. I told you to have my room cleaned up by the time I got home from daycare. I see the room is not clean. I need you to go in there and clean my room right now. I want you to go downstairs and pick up all my toys. They're just strewn all over the basement. Who can live like that? I can't live like that. Go pick the toys up. And by the way, for dinner tonight, I would like cake, ice cream, I would like caribou gummies, and I would like to top it off with milk duds. Make sure, and I want jelly beans too, but make sure you pick out all the green ones. I don't like the green ones. Now, I hope as a parent that if your four or five-year-old came in talking to you like this, that your response will be some version of I don't know who you think you are. <laughs> but you clearly don't know who I am. I can say it because she's over in Real Kids volunteering. I've had to many times tell my daughter who is not short on confidence. I'm the parent here. You can't do what I do. You can't say what I say. You can't go where I go. I'm the parent here. Have to remind her of who I am. Well, sometimes we need to remind ourselves of who God is. Thank God that he is not, amen. You give him some glory. Thank God that he's not a mean parent like I am and, you know, will come back and, you know, smite you down when you try to act like that. But we need to worship God for who he is, and that's God. So as we round the back curve and come down the, the final straight, to the finish line. Let me just give you uh, the pros and the cons of worship, and I'm gonna start with the con. When, when we neglect to worship, it's dangerous because it makes our problems seem bigger. When we neglect to worship, we get weaker. When we neglect to worship, our ego gets bigger because we begin to think that we are in control and our power actually gets weaker because there is no true power except for the power of God. He said, it's I who give you the power to make wealth. 
We think we have all the power. We don't have any power. What we have is what God has given us. That's what happens when we neglect to worship. Mick has said it this way for the last two weeks. The more we worship, the less we worry. The more we worry, the less we worship. And when we worry, our problems get bigger and God gets smaller. But when we worship, our problems get smaller and God gets bigger. We worship so that we see the bigness of God and not what we think is the bigness of our problems. So a lifestyle of worship then defeats the plans of the enemy. When we have a lifestyle of worship, our attention then is on God and on his will and not on us and our will. We grow closer to God. God strengthens us. We can endure any hardship and we get the answers that we need from God. <laughs> Think about that. Many of us have so many questions before the Lord. What do I do? Why is this happening? How should I handle this? What's the right way? And we just keep asking the Lord questions. I'd like to submit to you today to stop asking questions and just begin to worship God. Just begin to be in his presence. Just begin to acknowledge who he is. And I, I would like to guarantee, that's how confident that I am, that the answer will come through your worship. Here's the thing. In the Old Testament, we have a really good example. Habakkuk gives us a, this great example. But we have many great examples of what happens when we worship God. Throughout the Old Testament, when God did a, grid, a big work and delivered the children of Israel or brought victory to them, then the prophet or the leader would often build an altar. It was Noah that was the first altar that's mentioned in the Bible that he built after they got out of the ark, after being in that ark for 40 days and 40 nights of rain. We know that Moses built a number of altars in Exodus 17 after um, the children of Israel run the battle against the Amalekites when Moses was holding up his hands being supported by Aaron and her and God gave them the victory. Then he built an altar and he called it Jehovah Nisi, our banner. And I don't have time to tell you what all that means in the history behind that, but there is this pattern of building an altar when God has done something great. The reason that Moses and Abraham and Noah and Jacob and Isaac built these altars because it was to help them remember what God is capable of doing. So that the next time they went through a hard time, they would come back to this altar, a place of worship, and remember what God's faithfulness is so that they can have the faith to walk through their present situation. Here's the thing that no matter what's happening in your life, I encourage you on the altar of your heart to build altars at places and times when God has seen you through so that when you go into worship, that you will recall, God, you did it before. I know you will do it again. So these altars serve not only as a sign of remembrance for the children of Israel in the Old Testament, but they also declared and broadcast to the enemy what the God of their people was capable of doing. It wasn't just about reminding them, it was about making declaration to the enemy. 
So worship then is also a weapon. When we worship, we are putting the enemy on notice. You can attack all you want. You can deceive all you want. You can come in and try to bring destruction all you want. But I'm going to worship the only one who is greater than you. I'm going to worship the one who has all power and all authority. I'm going to worship the one who is the lover of my soul. Because I know when I worship him, he inhabits my worship. He is enthroned in our worship. And when he is enthroned, now he is in charge. And when he is in charge, no devil in hell and no gate of hell can prevail against him. Thank you, Jesus. So I want to call you to action today. I'm going to give you some homework to do. And I'm not going to check your homework. I'll have no way of knowing whether or not you did this homework, except for maybe seeing the fruit in your life. If you're not already, I want you to begin to build a list of the characteristics of God. He's holy, he's mighty, he's good, he's truth, he's fair, he's righteous. Just begin to make a list of his characteristics, his nature, because his nature then declares his ability. The second part of the homework is, I want you to keep a record of how God moves in your life. The world would call this a gratitude journal. And that's okay, you can call it a gratitude journal, but I want you to keep a record akin to building an altar of how God moves in your life. Why? So that when you face difficult times, you can go back and you can remember who God is and what his ability is and what he's already done in your life. And then finally, I'd like to invite you to make a decision. Can you say that word for me, decision? Decision to trust God no matter what. No matter what, how you feel, no matter what the situation looks like, or no matter what other people say about your situation. Make the decision. God, I'm going to trust you. As I ask the worship team to come on uh, out and begin to play, I want you even now to begin to remember what God has already done in your life. Remember those times where he got you out of a jam and you don't even know how you got out of that jam. Remember his grace where he's given you things that you didn't deserve, including peace of mind including joy, including family. Remember those times where he demonstrated his mercy, where you didn't get what you really deserved. We're all living at God's mercy. We deserve damnation and death. But because of Jesus, we have eternal life. The enemy will remind you of all the times that you were disappointed. I want to encourage you to remember who God really is. And if we can embrace this as a lifestyle to worship him, not because of what he's done, as Lawrence said earlier, 
but worship him because of who he is. I believe it'll transform us. It'll transform our families. It'll transform our own minds. If we KCC learn how to worship God just because of who he is, it will transform this church. And although uh, Pastor Mick is not moved by numbers, I'm not either, and I don't think God is either. I believe that as we begin to be a church that worships God as a lifestyle, we won't have room in this place for the people who see us living a victorious life, see us living a peaceful life, and want a little bit of what we got. And it'll be because we worship God, no matter what's going on. I believe it will transform us, where we will see the dead get up. If you're gonna believe in God, you might as well believe in all of his ability. He's a dead-raising God. I believe we'll see the sick healed. We'll see the lame walk. I believe we'll see the blind see if we will worship God because of who he is. And I'm not trying to manipulate you. I wanna invite you into a more intimate space with God because you see, it takes maturity to worship when we don't feel like it. It takes maturity to push past your own inhibitions worried about what the person next to you is going to think to worship God because of who he is. It takes maturity to worship God in a way that you've never worshiped him before. It might feel uncomfortable to raise your hands. It might feel uncomfortable to use your own vocal cords to worship him. But I wanna challenge you this morning. If you will worship God because of who he is, the great I am that I am, I believe it will propel us as a people into a next level in him. Are you ready to go to the next level? I don't know about you, I'm so tired of the level we've been on, I'm so tired of the craziness we've been in. I'm ready to move up to higher heights and deeper depths, amen? So I wanna give you a chance to respond to this word, to worship him. Our worship team is going to lead us again and because of who you are. I challenge you not to stand here and spectate and be entertained. I challenge you to follow our worship team into the presence of God. And in the best way you know how, if all you know how, know how to do is just say, thank you, Jesus, then just say it over and over, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. If all you know how to do is just say hallelujah with every fiber of your being from your toes on up, say hallelujah. If you're not sure what to do, just wave. Just, if all you know how to do is sway, do it in worship to God. And watch the Lord inhabit our praise and our worship.